welcome. It's indisputable. I'm your host, Rashad Richard. Good to be with you. We got a lot of show today. Breaking down news of the day, my contributor is Jessica Burbank, Rebel HQ contributor and analyst, remarkable individual. Okay, let's put up the picture of this old white woman. You see her? She needs to die in jail. Now, I don't say that lightly, okay? This is the woman who started the chain reaction that got Emmett Till killed when he was 14 years of age. Now, a warrant has been discovered that was never served on her in connection to that murder, which provides a legal avenue for her to actually finally be prosecuted. Carolyn Bryant Donham. Let's show a picture of Emmett Till and his mother, okay? That's Mammy Till Bradley. I want you to remember that Emmett Till was 14 years of age when Carolyn Bryant decided to lie on him, create a mob justice atmosphere where two men connected to her kidnapped him and killed him. All right, let's get into it. Carolyn Bryant, then husband Roy Bryant and his half brother J.W. Millam on August 28th, 1955, grabbed Teal from his great uncle's home, carried him away and killed him. Both men are now deceased. A team searching a Mississippi courthouse They searched the basement for evidence about the lynching of the black teenager Emmett Till. And they found an unserved warrant charging a white woman in his 1955 kidnapping. Now, this is important because this is an unserved warrant and a different element of the crime. This is not murder, this is kidnapping. It's a different dynamic of the initial crime that we know on record, all right? This unserved warrant was charging Ms. Carolyn Bryant, a white woman in his 1955 kidnapping and relatives of the victim. They want authorities to finally arrest her nearly 70 years later. All right, so yeah, she's in her 80s, okay? All right, I don't give a damn that she's in her 80s. You have to remember, her privilege ran so deep that literally she had a kidnapping of a minor arrest warrant that got squashed, Ah, you know, no big deal. You're okay, she was free. You can't even have a warrant for a damn traffic ticket and remain free for 70 years. At some point, you have to answer for that traffic ticket. This woman had a warrant for her arrest for kidnapping a child. There's more, a warrant for the arrest of Carolyn Bryant identified as Mrs. Roy Bryant in the warrant was discovered last week by searchers inside a foul folder that had been placed in a box. The Leflore County Circuit Clerk Stocksteel told the Associated Press on Wednesday. So the documents are kept inside of boxes by decade, he said. But there was nothing else to indicate whether the warrant dated August 29th. 1955 might have been. They narrowed it down between the 50s and 60s and got lucky, says Stocksteel, who certified the warrant as absolutely 100% genuine. So let me tell you what's happening now. 
remember your dates, August 28, 1955. That's when the crime happened, okay? They have that on the record. August 29th, you literally have an arrest warrant for her. They knew what happened. All of them were aware of everything within 24 hours. They knew exactly what happened to this kid. There's an arrest warrant. Somebody decides to hide it, ignore it. Systematic bias, prejudice, racism, corruption, all taking place at one time, converging 1955 in the month of August, so that no justice can be served to the family of the 14 year old who was killed. There's more. The search group included members of the Emmett Till Legacy Foundation and two of Till's relatives, cousin Deborah Watts, head of the foundation, and her daughter, Terry Watts. Relatives want authorities to use the warrant to arrest Carolyn Bryant, who at the time of the slaying was married to one of the two white men, tried and acquitted just weeks after Till was abducted from a relative's home, killed and dumped into a river. Serving and charge her, Terry Watts told the AP in an interview, and I stand with the family. Server, charger, arrester. Evidence indicates a woman, Carolyn Bryant, identified Teal to the men who later killed him. The arrest warrant against Carolyn Bryant was publicized at the time, but the county sheriff told reporters he did not want to bother the woman. Since she had two young children <clears throat> to care for. Isn't that something? I didn't know that a sheriff could just ignore a felony warrant. I mean, this is a new thing. We learn new things about law enforcement every day as it relates to white people. We really do. So you can have a felony warrant for your arrest, and the sheriff can say, you know what? You know, you got two children to raise, so we're gonna just ignore the fact that you have a warrant for kidnapping a child that led to his murder. Now, in her 80s, and most recently living in North Carolina, Carolyn Bryant has not commented publicly on calls for her prosecution. But Terry Watts said the Till family believes the warrant accusing Carolyn Bryant of kidnapping amounts to new evidence. This is what the state of Mississippi needs to go ahead, she said. So let's go to the DA. Let me bring you to the DA, Dwayne Richardson. Now, Dwayne, he ain't gonna do a damn thing. I guarantee you that. So let's go to the office that would prosecute the case. So they have declined to comment on the warrant, declined to comment, not even add words to it, but cited a December report about the Teal case from the Justice Department that said no prosecution was possible. Now remember the Justice Department said this under the old statute, not the new evidence presented to the DA's office. Contacted by the AP on Wednesday, the county sheriff, currently Ricky Banks, said, and I quote, This is the first time I've known about a warrant. Banks, who was seven years old until was killed, said, and I quote, Nothing was said about a warrant when a former district attorney investigated the case five or six years ago. I will see if I can get a copy of the warrant and get with the DA and get their opinion on it. Well, let's just talk about it. I mean, listen, we need to have a conversation. Let's Can we all pray together? There's more. If the warrant can still be served according to the sheriff, he would have to then, what? If the warrant can be served, the sheriff needs to talk to law enforcement officers in the state where where Carolyn Bryant resides. Once again, another conversation. So the sheriff has literally said, if it's a warrant that I can actually 
that I can actually serve. If I can arrest her legally, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna talk to the law enforcement officers in the state that she lives and make sure it's okay. What in the hell? This is why many people don't like the police. They don't like the criminal justice system, rightfully so. It takes this much, all of these conversations, even if it's legal for you to do, even if you're mandated by the warrant to do so, all of a sudden we need to have conversations rather than justice. So let's go to the law, okay? Here's what the law says in Mississippi. Arrest warrants can go stale, so this is a stale arrest warrant. That is permissible due to the passage of time and changing circumstances. And one from 1955 almost certainly wouldn't pass muster before a court, even if a sheriff agreed to serve it, said Ronald J. Reichlack, a law professor at the University of Mississippi. But this is a big one. With any new evidence, see why it's important that the kidnapping dynamic is part of it. With any new evidence, the original arrest warrant Absolutely, according to the professor of law, could be an important stepping stone toward establishing probable cause for a new prosecution, a new arrest, a new indictment, according to the law professor. You think they're going to do something? No. Now, let me remind everyone, uh, there are war crimes, war criminals who committed those war crimes many, many decades ago. When governments catch up with them, it doesn't matter how old they are, they go to jail, all right? This was a heinous crime against a child. There should be no grace allocated just because, hey guys, it happened a long time ago. Jessica, thoughts on this? Yeah, we're already seeing this narrative get pushed that this was so long ago, you're digging up things from the past. This is not a double jeopardy scenario. Let's think about what would have happened if that warrant was served and she was arrested. Do we think that a jury in Mississippi at that point in time in 1955 would have found her guilty? Maybe not, and what got in the way of that was white supremacist people serving in law enforcement. They have gotten in the way of justice for all of these years. And when people took justice into their own hands, now we're finally seeing something get done about it. So it's not digging up an old case from the past. Justice has been delayed because people who are white supremacists have been serving in law enforcement for all of these years. And let's also revisit the, the extremely racist connotation of the statement for why the warrant wasn't served because a white woman needed to be home with her kids. Right now, we are seeing a lot of narratives on the right wing about wanting to prevent abortions because they are unhappy with the racial makeup of this country, protecting white women having babies. Think about Emmett Till, Emmett Till was also a child. His life wasn't worth protecting, they didn't serve this warrant because they didn't wanna get in the way of her mothering her kids. Again, we see the same racism of the 1950s, even prevalent today. And if we want to do anything to bring a little bit more legitimacy to the criminal justice system in the United States, they should absolutely prosecute this case today because it is one of the most significant cases of injustice in our country. Yes. Very well said, I agree wholeheartedly. All right, uh, historic day today. So let me go down the list here. Katandra Brown Jackson, Judge Jackson sworn in today as the first black female to be a United States Supreme Court Justice. In related but unrelated news, President Joe Biden is appointing an anti-choice federal judge and he's now willing 
to budge on the filibuster for the sake of abortion rights. Fascinating dynamics here. Let me explain them all. Here's a video. The judicial oath, will you raise your right hand, please? Thank you. I, Ketanji Brown Jackson. I, Ketanji Brown Jackson. Do solemnly swear. Do solemnly swear. That I will administer justice. That I will administer justice. Without respect to persons. Without respect to persons. And do equal right. And do equal right. To the poor and to the rich. To the poor and to the rich. And that I will faithfully and impartially. And that I will faithfully and impartially. Discharge and perform. Discharge and perform. All the duties. All the duties. Incumbent upon me. Incumbent upon me. As an Associate Justice of the Supreme Court of the United States. As an Associate Justice of the Supreme Court of the United States. Under the Constitution. Under the Constitution. And laws of the United States. And laws of the United States. So help me God. So help me God. And now on behalf of all of the members of the court, I am pleased to welcome Justice Jackson to the court and to our common calling. Historic day. She's truly a left-leaning judge on that bench. She has a dynamic background and resume, a remarkable individual. This means a lot for the character of our nation. This means a lot for citizens of this country. If they know it or not, this means a lot for my daughter and your daughter too. It means a lot, all right? So we can celebrate in the moment. But there's more we have to get to as well. Uh, Jackson, who was confirmed since April, is now officially a United States Supreme Court Justice. She joins the court shortly after the overturning of Roe v. Wade, a decision that President Biden is considering using executive measures maybe, utilizing the elimination of the filibuster maybe in order to combat it. Now, before I go to this video, I gotta remind you of a few things. I've said this from day one, the administration is not powerless here. There are things they can do immediately to balance the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Number one, declare all federal lands to be places where a potential clinic can reside to give a woman an affordable and safe option inside of that state. Will you get pushback? Will you get sued by state governments? Yes, fight, you will, you will be sued, fine, go to court. But you can do it with executive action. The president can also have a press conference and name the list of companies that support lawmakers that do not support a woman's right to choose and say boycott those companies. Create an atmosphere so that you can actually get legislation passed because Roe v. Wade, overturning Roe v. Wade is not the end all. You can create a legislative law that will make what the court did null and void. There are options here. Uh, here's President Biden. The most important thing to be clear about is we have to change, I believe we have to codify Roe v. Wade in the law. And the way to do that is to make sure the Congress votes to do that. And if the filibuster gets in the way, it's like voting rights. It should be, we provide an exception for this, the except the require an exception to the filibuster for this action. Well, you just made some news saying you would support changing the filibuster rules to codify abortion rights broadly across the country. Right to privacy, not just abortion rights, but yes, abortion rights. Come on, Joe, don't let them push it back, man. Be forceful, all right? 
This is a good decision. Stick with it. Hold your party accountable. Get your 50 votes. Let the vice president be the tiebreaker. Would that not be amazing? That a woman, the the first black woman, first woman, vice president of the United States of America is the tiebreaking vote that restored a woman's right to choose throughout this entire country. All right, we'll see if he pulls it off. Despite the announcement, President Biden does plan to nominate a conservative lawyer who is anti-choice to a federal judgeship in Kentucky. All right, Chad Meredith, the attorney, let's put him up, previously served as a Kentucky Solicitor General, represented a number of Kentucky's top GOP officials. He is anti-choice, does not really believe in a woman's right to choose. Now, why is Biden doing this? Biden is doing this. I guarantee you because of political wrangling with McConnell. This is going to likely guarantee that Biden can get other picks to the bench. Politics, huh? All right, Jessica, thoughts on all of this? Yeah, I want to point out something that Ketanji Brown Jackson said. She said, I love this country and our constitution and the rights that make us free. In any other point in time, This would just be a bland, boring, typical statement of a Supreme Court justice, but it really means everything right now. And I truly believe we need four more justices exactly like this on the bench. But do I really think that if Joe Biden were to appoint more justices to the bench right now, that Mitch McConnell would keep his word and not block them? I'm not confident in that. And I want to point out the hypocrisy here because there was a talking filibuster used in 2017 to get Gorsuch confirmed to the court. That's really important. The Republicans have used this you know, nuclear option. So absolutely, the Democrats with a trifecta should use this nuclear option as well. And I think also it's important to mention that the, the folks who are defending the Supreme Court ruling are saying that abortion is not mentioned in the Constitution. It's also not mentioned in the Constitution that there needs to be a cap of nine justices on the bench. That's right, very well said. And we have changed that number over the course of American history multiple times. Bobert, yep, a United States Congressperson says she is sick and tired of separation of church and state. Here it is. The reason we had so many overreaching regulations in our nation is because the church complied. The church is supposed to direct the government. The government is not supposed to direct the church. That is not how our founding fathers intended it. And I'm tired of this separation of church and state junk. That's not in the constitution. It was in a stinking letter and it means nothing like what they say it does. That woman needs to take a history class. Uh, The church is not supposed to direct the government. The founding fathers of this nation had many flaws. One thing they got right was that they were trying to get the hell away from Christians and Christian rule. That was the basis of this experiment known as America with a secular government. Let's go ahead and go to the Constitution. Congress shall what? Make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. In an 1801 letter, To the Danbury Baptist Association of Connecticut, President Jefferson Thomason wrote, and I quote, believing with you that religion is a matter which lies solely between man and his God, that he owes account to none other for his faith or his worship, that the legitimate powers of government reach actions only 
and not opinions. I contemplate with sovereign reverence that act of the whole American people which declared that their legislature should make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, thus building a wall of separation between church and state. The reality is, it's Bobert. It's not like the Constitution. It's that surprising to anyone. None of these individuals like the Constitution. They attempted to overthrow the entire government. Damn the Constitution. It's how they feel. We got to stop contextualizing them as conservatives and start contextualizing them as what they are. They are criminal, they are radical, and they are bad for democracy. And they're telling you that. Jessica, thoughts here? Yeah, absolutely. There's no quiet part anymore. There's no saying the quiet part out loud. They're saying it directly. The right doesn't believe in an originalist interpretation of the Constitution. They believe in radically amending the Constitution so that there is not separation of church and state. They're being very deliberate and telling us directly that what they want is white Christian nationalism in the United States. And we need to take that very seriously and call that out for exactly what it is. Yeah, and they they have significant hypocrisy here while they want to regulate um, people's right to marry. All right, because they're anti-gay marriage or whatever they may be. They don't want there to be a law that says thou shall not lie as a federal statute or thou shall not commit fornication as a federal statute. They don't go that far because they're hypocrites at their core. All right, we got more on the other side. It's indisputable, stick and stay. All right, welcome back, we got a lot of show. Uh, here's the reality, Brittany Griner is a hostage in Russia, she's a prisoner, okay? Now, the American government, they're not gonna say it like that. But remember, all of this has now been turned over to the people at the State Department that deal with hostages, okay? She's gonna get a day in court according to the latest WNBA star, Brittany Griner. Let's put up the picture full mass here, shackled, looking wary. Griner was ordered to stand trial last Friday by a court near Moscow on cannabis possession charges about four and a half months after her arrest at an airport while returning to play for a Russian team. Griner could face 10 years in prison if convicted on charges of large scale transportation of drugs. Fewer than 1% of defendants in Russia in Russian criminal cases are actually acquitted, all right? At Monday's closed door prelim hearing at the court in the Moscow suburb, of Kim Key Griner's detention was extended for another six months. Amid the tensions, Griner supporters had taken a low profile in hopes of a quiet resolution until May, when the State Department reclassified her as wrongfully detained and shifted oversight of her case to a special presidential envoy of hostage affairs, effectively the US government's chief hostage negotiator. I have Rick who is my go-to guy for all things sports. But obviously there's a social interplay here. Give me your breakdown on what's happening with Ms. Griner now. Okay, so um, it's not just the US State Department. Bill Richardson, who is um, a former ambassador to the UN for the US, he has his own, let's call it like a private practice per se. Okay. He's working on this as well. He has helped out others who have been in detention and taken, let's just call it what it is. In my opinion, it seems like she is being held captive and a prisoner of war because they know that the United States has people that they 
also have captured. One of them via USA Today is Victor Bout. He was arrested in 2008 after undercover agents asked him to sell them missiles capable of shooting down American planes. This is basically a guy that you could get any missile from at any time. So he is important to Vladimir Putin. When all of this happened, it was in February. It was a few months before the illegal Russian invasion of Ukraine. Brittany Griner is one of the most celebrated and decorated basketball players currently in the United States, specifically on the women's side as well. Um, we don't know also, and it's very important that we state this. We do not know if she actually had vape cartridges. That has been a very, very important point that I have come upon in my research is that this could just have happened because Vladimir Putin knew that he was going to invade Ukraine. He wanted to have a peace and now they are working on the Let's call it a trade, a prison mm -hmm. swap. Um, I really can't predict what's going to happen, but I do know that we need to bring Brittany Griner home. Kathy yep. Engelbert, the WNBA commissioner, has said we need to bring Brittany Griner home. And they've also not only launched websites in her name, but also put BG32 on WNBA courts to, sp to try and spread awareness of this injustice that has happened. Yeah, she's being used as a bargaining chip, and we'll find out more later. Okay, we're gonna read some of these amazing comments. All right, um, and remember to join, to join the membership group page, the membership page for YouTube, Indisputable, TYT. Many of you have already joined, I thank you in advance. Fun stuff, great ability to interact even more, all right? Proceeds go to good places, okay. About Emmett Till, Rebel Dragon says this story shows why the GOP wants to go back to the 1950s. That's right, exactly. Uh, Judge About Judge Brown, LJP71 says Justices Brown, Sotomayor, and Kagan are going to have a hard way to go. Expand the court. Really, that's all you got left. You, you have to expand the court, okay? Um, about Bobert, Lynn says once again, Bobert is advertising her ignorance of the Constitution. I guess I could have put the period after the word ignorance, right? Check your spirit 24 seven. Thank you for that, check your spirit. Uh, wow, 32 Antoine, appreciate you, 32 Antoine. Uh, says, I hate hearing anything about the racist state of Mississippi. I hope Emmett Till's family get justice. Thanks for the story, doc, my pleasure. Uh, Tan Tokoria, um, thank you for that. Says, I hate to say it, doc, but I doubt that any of those sensible actions you suggested will occur. We're not talking about a party that fights for us. Yeah, uh, Chris uh, Frederick, uh, we need to see the long game as they did. These are the desperate last breaths of a Republican Christian party. The next, uh, this next generation uh, will not stand for this and these dinosaurs will die out. Let's hope that's true, okay? All right, I got something for you. Ladies and gentlemen, I wish you Karen would. You wanna call the police on them for having a barbecue on a and Sunday? I need some advice, and I'm not trying to be funny. I am dead serious with this, okay? We went to Mexico for a week. Since we came back from Mexico, my armpits smell like a Mexican. Every time I sweat, it is dirty Mexican coming out from my ever orifice. I am not. I am dead serious. I have changed deodorants. I have tried everything. It smells like tacos under my arms, like I'm a walking enchilada. And I need to know if there's anything that I can do to help 
figure out this problem because I smell like it right now, a dirty Mexican. Like I smell like I worked a 12-hour shift at the Don Juan's and came on down here trying some clothes. So if y'all got any solution, all y'all old Silver Valians, if y'all got anything, Donna Manus, I'm talking to you. If you got anything that you think will work, like I'm scrubbing, I done changed gender, I don't know. I'm You know, Karen, your friends told me you smelled bad before you went to Mexico. Karen Isity runs deep, individual takes a trip, goes on vacation. She has body odor, that's all her fault. And she blames it on being in Mexico and eating Mexican. Madam, what you are describing, the stench coming out of your body. Now, once again, you told us that you smell bad. You smelling bad. Because you took a vacation, it's the first I've ever heard of this condition, madam. Which leads me to believe you just simply smell bad. We have identified this Karen, this Karen, her name is Holly Weaver Smith, who has bad body odor, according to her. She's in Lexington, North Carolina. You may want to avoid her within six, maybe up to 12 feet. She's owner also of the Sweet Savannah Boutique, Sweet Savannah Teak. Just in case you would like to patronize the company. Damn shame. All right, Jessica, thoughts on this, Karen? Yeah, I mean, if I was living in Lexington, North Carolina, I would not be shopping at the Sweet Savannah Boutique, that's for sure. And this is just the kind of just everyday racism of white supremacy in our country. And it's it's a really interesting culmination of things happening in this video. I know a lot of white folks are, are not putting seasoning in their food and her body could just not be used to the spices that were in the food and our bodies process them in, in interesting ways when we're not used to it and the compounds can come out in sweat. And there, there are two things that European colonizers gained from imperialism, knowledge of personal hygiene, and also spices and seasonings, and this is regressive. If we were to move forward as human civilization, we would do away with the racism and actually practice personal hygiene and use seasonings and spices. And she is demonstrating that we're actually moving backwards because we're keeping the racism, but we're not using the seasonings, spices and personal hygiene. And yeah, that's what I have to say about this yeah, one. Go. It's a there spicy take. All right, get some damn soap, Karen. Very sad story, but I'm glad they're suing now. This is an update. A man who was going through a mental health crisis was aggressively arrested by the police. And then they told the dog to bite him. I'm gonna remind you of that video, here it is. Hey, Baby, stop. Travis, calm down. So sad, put up the victim's picture. His name is Travis Moya. Travis Moya was going through a mental health issue. It was a mental health call. Police 
had been called to Moya's home when he reportedly was having a mental health crisis. They already know this is a mental health crisis. That's how the call came in. The man from the suburban Atlanta area was attacked by a police dog at an arrest at his home. Will soon be turning the tables according to his lawyer. Travis Moyer, 37 years of age of Alpharetta, Georgia, learned today that the Fulton County DA's office said they are not going to prosecute him for resisting arrest for the incident at his home in 2021. That's according to the Atlanta Journal Constitution. Now, who's in charge of the DA's office that decided not to prosecute this man? Fonnie Willis, the DA, put a picture up. Looks familiar. She's the same woman who has a grand jury investigating the actions of Donald Trump trying to overturn the Georgia elections. She's leading that investigation against Donald Trump. The senior DA, Melissa Roth, said in court dated June 2nd that after reviewing police body cam video, the state believes a jury would find insufficient evidence to support a finding of guilt against Mr. Moya. It was reported. Moyer's attorney, his name is Chris Stewart, he happens to be a good friend of mine, said the law firm plans to file a civil lawsuit against the Alpharetta Police Department. Stewart has said Moyer was experiencing a mental health crisis when his stepson called 911 last July. The attorney says police use excessive force, resulting in a concussion and multiple dog bite wounds, the report stated. Now, once again, a few elements here. Number one, they knew it was a mental health crisis. That's why advocating for reform inside of police departments is a good thing. That police department should have had a mental health professional there. Obviously, they do not have significant mental health training. That's another dynamic of police reform. Or they just decided to ignore whatever training and common sense they have because they're corrupt and evil people. That's possible too, right? Which means you can't talk reform for them, you have to talk replacement. The other dynamic is once they had him apprehended, they know it's a mental health issue. Why do they then have the dog bite him, okay? There's an argument that I make that canines should never be used in law enforcement, period, period. Once again, a man who needed help, a man who needed assistance, a man who was not a public safety threat, he was not. He needed help, he needed a hospital, but instead, he got victimized by the police. We're gonna follow the story, lawsuit is coming as soon as it is filed, I will bring it to you. Uh, Jessica, thoughts on this? The biggest fear I hear when we talk about defunding the police, replacing them with a different kind of public safety unit to respond to mental health calls exactly like this one is, oh my gosh, we will become so much more unsafe if, if we invest the resources that we're currently investing in the police elsewhere. But if the police are supposed to make us safe, why is it the case that whenever they are called, the situation escalates and gets more violent? That's what we really need to interrogate. Ask yourself if you feel more safe if you call the police in situations when there are so many scenarios that went down exactly like this one. Why did they even have a dog with them responding to a mental health call? There were three officers on them when the dog started attacking him. Was the dog instructed to attack them? That should not have happened, obviously. If the dog was out of control, they absolutely should not have the dog and the police are at fault for that as well. And I'm really happy that this is the attorney that's on the case because she's doing really good work in Georgia. All right, there you go. We got more on the other side is indisputable stick and stay.
Welcome back, we got a lot of show left. Let me read some of these amazing comments. We'll read as many as I can. Sina Hogaboom, she should try bleach. Her leader said it might work. Money, made money in the building, thank you for this. If you want to know what racism smells like, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> All right, Chi Chi Massey, thank you, Chi Chi. Uh, yeah, North Carolina got a lot of sticky Karens here. Shoot. Uh, Twitch, E, Jep Five. Sounds like karma to me, and that doesn't wash off. Something about the care. <laughs> All right, uh, Octo Squeeties, uh, this is why cats are better than dogs. Dogs can't cooperate with cops. Dogs, dogs, cats don't cooperate with cops. Okay, that's funny. All right. Yep, we knew what happened. Bigoted, racist, ex-security guy is selling ghost guns. Has now been charged. Let's put up his picture full mass here. So this is a former security guard. He was charged in Ohio for allegations including threatening a Jewish school. Has now been accused in federal court of making and selling ghost guns. Remember, we've talked about these ghost guns. His name is Thomas Devlin. Yeah, devil in. 24 years of age, faces a number of firearms charges, including with engaging in business without a firearms license, illegal possession of a machine gun, failure to register as a dealer, manufacturer, or importer, or to pay required tax. Receipt or possession of a firearm made in violation of the National Firearms Act and making a firearm in violation of the NFA. Mm. Let's put up the other picture of him smelling his gun, okay? He has had a long history of hateful posts online. This one, he said, smells like dead Jews. That was his exact quote online. He allegedly said, as he sniffed a rifle, in a Snapchat video in November. That same day, that same day, he allegedly made a Snapchat video titled Jewish Women. In it, he allegedly held a gun aimed in the direction of unknown individuals. Federal authorities said they could not identify the alleged targets, but they noted that records from Devlin's former employer, Sahara Global Security indicated that he was working at Temple Israel at the time of the video. Isn't that something? More quotes, he says the Holocaust did not happen. And if anything, I'll scream six million wasn't enough. That's what he said. He allegedly wrote another post. The post contained a picture which authorities described as depicting the inside of the Temple Beth Shalom. Devlin posted a picture in which he mentioned working at a synagogue. I'm getting $30 an hour for executive protection, but it's at a Jewish synagogue having an inner debate that if an active shooter comes in, I might just join him. There's more. He also said, and I quote, we're about to hunt in words on night patrol in Columbus. Devlin allegedly wrote in a snap group on Discord last February. Someone's got to work the beat and hold the line. He also allegedly made multiple posts supportive of raping women. For example, he allegedly posted an image in which rape is compared as favorable to sex. I've become so radicalized against women that I've forgotten how to act rationally around them when one of them decides it's a good idea to speak to me. There's more. 
Law enforcement agents executed a search warrant and arrest warrants on Devlin's home in Columbus, Ohio. March 31st, federal officials said, authorities said they discovered 25 guns as well as a 3D printer used to make untraceable homemade weapons. I told you this would be a problem, I said it. The alleged ghost guns referenced in the charges. He allegedly went to a home on March 28th, 2022 in Chester Hill, Ohio to drop off guns because he knew law enforcement may be coming for him. He returned the next day to burn illegal items, okay? You know, the government could have been a day late and a dollar short here. They got lucky. Once again, we have policies that allow for this madness. Remember, we're a gun culture. We allow for these things, ghost guns, no problem, the right says. National Rifle Association has no issue with these ghost guns. Is the NRA going to make a statement against him? No. Will Mitch McConnell say something? No. Maybe Donald Trump, Matt Gates, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Because they want people like him on their side. Once again, this is not a conservative movement. It is a criminal one. Jessica thoughts here. Yeah, we don't have to use too much of our imagination's capacity to think about what kind of people he was giving these guns to. And that's very scary. The prevalence of white supremacists and fascists in positions of security and in law enforcement is especially concerning. And I think we're only going to see the rise of anti-Semitism in the country as we now see white Christian nationalists fighting to live in a post-Roe America. And we see members of the Jewish community saying it is their religious right to have access to abortion. I think it's only going to intensify the anti-Semitism of white Christian nationalists. That's extremely concerning. And I think we really need background checks for anyone applying to positions to be in security or law enforcement. And we really need to deeply look into their history of making hateful and racist statements on social media. That's necessary. I think about the example of Germany, where there was a police force where they were found to be exchanging hateful and racist message, sympathizing with Nazis in a group Mm -hmm. chat, and they disbanded the entire force. We need to be fighting the rise of fascism in the United States with that same amount of vigilance. I'm about to expose some so-called Christian preachers inside of the Catholic Church. Every time I do this, I get a bunch of hate mail, bring it. Let's go to New Orleans, all right? The FBI has opened an investigation into sex abuse in the Roman Catholic Church in New Orleans going back decades, all right? The New Orleans cases under review, alleged abuse by clergy during trips to Mississippi camps or amusement parks in Texas and Florida. And while some claims are decades old, Man Act violations notably have no statute of limitation. We had to fight for that law, by the way. It's been a long road and just the fact that someone this high up believes us means the world to us, said a former altar boy who alleged his assailant assailant, took him on trips to Colorado, Florida and abused him. This was starting in the 1970s, he was only in the fifth grade. Federal investigators are now considering whether to seek access to thousands of secret church documents produced by lawsuits and shielded by sweeping confidentiality orders in the bankruptcy according to those familiar with the probe who were not authorized to discuss with the AP on condition of anonymity. 
Those records are said to document years of abuse claims, interviews with accused clergy and a pattern of church leaders transferring problem priests without reporting their crimes to law enforcement. Now let me say this, okay? I don't give a damn if you come to work with the priest collar on. I don't care that you've been ordained by some secular group. And I don't give a damn if you say you are called by God. When you touch the children, you are a monster. You will forever be a monster in my book. So while the FBI may still be considering what to do, I know exactly what to do with it, put up his picture. Among the priests under federal scrutiny in New Orleans, they call it scrutiny, is Lawrence Hecker, 90 year old, removed from the ministry in 2002. Following accusations, he abused countless children. Hecker is accused of, of abusing children decades ago on out of state trips and other claims against him range from fondling all the way to rape, keep his picture up. As I have said before, and I will say again, the Catholic Church is nothing more than another company, another corporation, greedy, corrupt, hiding the reality of who they are. The character of that company is defined by those they protect. That's any company, including the Catholic Church. Now, damn it, if you don't like it, fine, but I'm telling you the truth. Are there some good Catholic people in the world? Of course there are, just like there's some good cops in the world. But you're not that good if you allow the bad to define you. This should have been exposed by the culture of the industry if the industry was righteous. Meaning, if your culture is more right than wrong, when there's something wrong, the right culture will excommunicate it. But when it's the other way around, the wrong will remain and permeate. Put up the next picture. His name is Patrick Wadney, a priest charged last year by state prosecutors after he admitted, he admitted to molesting a teenager in 2013. His 2020 removal from the ministry came amid an investigation into inappropriate text messages he sent to a student. Had been doing it a long time, they got him for one but not the other. Let's talk about the legal hurdles in the past, okay? The issue has always been determining what is the federal crime said Peter G. Strasser, the former US attorney in New Orleans who declined to bring charges in 2018 after the archdiocese published a list of 57 credibly accused clergy. Now remember, this, this archdiocese did the right thing, made it public. It was a roster, an AP analysis found had been undercounted by at least 20 names. Strasser said he naively believed a federal case might be possible only to encounter a host of roadblocks, including the complexities of putting the church on trial for charges like conspiracy. So let's be very clear, the reason why he did not prosecute it is because he was politically scared and not a leader. Do you understand that rappers are prosecuted under the RICO Act, state statute RICO Acts, not even the federal government? They figure out creative ways to prosecute gang members, rappers, black folks all the time. School teachers were prosecuted under the RICO Act in the cheating scandal in the city of Atlanta. Yeah. But you can't prosecute actual preachers who are committing child molestation. There's more. Louisiana joined two dozen states that have enacted lock look back windows intended to allow unresolved crimes of sex abuse, no matter how old, to be brought in civil court, but with few exceptions. Most notably, a former deacon charged with rape. The accused clergy have escaped criminal consequences, even at the local level. Cases 
have been hamstrung by statutes of limitation and the political sensitivity of prosecuting the church. Uh, let's be clear, this is corruption. I don't give a damn what they call it, political sensitivity, that is corruption. Children are victimized by a company of men who have power and influence and the government did nothing to very little about it. Jessica, thoughts here. Yeah, if you're out there watching this and you're Catholic and this makes you uncomfortable, it should. I grew up in an Italian American family. There were a lot of people who were Catholics and a lot of people left the church. You really have to ask yourself, is the church representing your spiritual values and your principles? And you can be religious and spiritual and keep those values in your relationship with a higher power and still not support a corrupt institution. And I really think that people within the Catholic Church need to look within themselves and think, am I supporting a corrupt institution? Is it time for me to leave? And I think many people upon reflection will conclude yes. This is also a super interesting case where they're applying an old law that was created for unjust reasons, right? Law and justice are absolutely not the same, but it can be applied in a way that protects these altar boys and brings about justice. And that's really interesting, right? The Man Act, also known as the White Slave Traffic Act, was meant to prevent white women from crossing state lines with immigrant men in the 1910s, and they're relying on the Commerce Clause. They can now apply this law to prevent you know, preachers and pastors from going on these trips, these priests going on these trips with these young altar boys. That's an interesting dynamic to apply a law that was created for unjust reasons to bring about justice. Very well said, we're gonna follow this entire case. Typically you have no arrest when there's this big splash, but maybe the time is changing. All right, we got more, it's indisputable stick and stay. Welcome back, we got a lot of show. Let me read some of these comments. Shakita, yes, Shakita Goodnight Beer Dragon says, you know, I am a lazy person and hate, fear and racism are just too much work. Imploded Brandy says, religion would be great if it weren't for the people. That's something, uh, thank you for this. I think it's Felinda, I am, love your show. Keep bringing awareness to the madness. Have a great day, Dr. Richie, thank you. Tondra Blankson. I love you, Jessica. You were as on point last night as you are today. Love you too, Doc Hart. Look at that. Jessica's awesome. Ghost Gun Dealer, uh, Prince of Judah 79 says, This fool was definitely going to do something horrible. Yeah, and gave you every bit of warning before doing it. That's the other thing. Like I said, the government got lucky here. They could have been a day late and a dollar short with all of this absolute evidence piling that he was about to do something bad. Okay. Yeah, well, Donald Trump has finally said it. He pretty much is going to consider Ron DeSantis for his vice presidential running mate if he runs for president in 2024. Here it is. Could you envision a world, sir, uh, where there is a Trump DeSantis ticket in 2024? Well, I get along with him. I was very responsible for his success because I endorsed him and he went up like a rocket ship, just yes. like I endorsed. Mary Miller the other day, who supposedly was not going to win and she won. She won. Just like uh, Darren Bailey is doing great, he just won. Yep. I got, I got a lot of content here to share with you. I, I'm laughing because Trump cannot figure out how to talk about somebody else without talking about himself. He just can't do it, all right? His, his narcissism is clinical, all right? He can't do it, if you expect him to. 
You are going to let yourself down every time. All right, uh, Trump has hinted for more than a year and a half that he could mount another presidential campaign after losing re-election to President Biden in 2020. But DeSantis has also emerged as a possible contender for the GOP nomination as his national profile among Republicans has swelled in recent years. Now remember, in pretty much all of the national polling, you have, I'm talking about for the GOP, you have Trump number one and DeSantis number two. That's AB, it's been like that for about a year and a half, two years now. But let's go behind closed doors. While DeSantis has played off speculation about a 2024 presidential bid as a false narrative, he's also declined on multiple occasions to rule out a run, even if Trump ultimately decides to launch a comeback campaign. Both men insist they have a good report. Now, you know that's a damn lie. All right, these two narcissists cannot coexist. Uh, they hate each other, they don't like each other. And if they run together, one may actually kill the other. I'm not kidding, that may actually happen. Trump already wanted Pence dead. All right, um, but as DeSantis has his clout within the GOP, Trump has more aggressively claimed responsibility for the Florida governor's success. He endorsed DeSantis back in 2018 for governor. He was seen as a long shot primary challenger to a better known Republican, former state agriculture commissioner, Adam Putnam. Recently, GOP mega donors are turning on Trump after the hearings of January 6th. Now remember, I've broken this down before. The January 6th hearings are necessary, but they are also political and performative. That's why they're being done right before the midterm elections. It's a presentation, not really let's seek justice or let's get all of the facts. They wanna present certain facts. If they wanted to get to the bottom of everything, they will subpoena Gina Thomas. They would subpoena the vice president, the former vice president of the United States. Hell, go ahead and bring on Dan Quayle while you had it. Because we heard he was talking to the VP when the VP of that time, Mike Pence, wanted to consider overthrowing the United States government. They're not gonna go that far is my point. The lack of interest in Trump by some, by some of the wealthiest Republican donors could boost fundraising efforts for other GOP presidential hopefuls. Multiple Republicans could run in 2024, including DeSantis, possibly Pence, maybe Tim Scott and Senator Cotton. All right, with that said, despite a lack of support from corporate leaders, Trump has maintained a massive campaign war chest. Thanks largely to small dollar donations that he manipulates out of older people. His political action committee, Save America, had over 100 million on hand going into June. Now remember, how is he getting this money? He's getting this money because he's saying things like, we're going to sue Twitter. Class action lawsuit, never happened. Truth social, the truth will be out there, it's BS. The left is going to beat us and they're coordinating with people on the right. And yes, even the media and Obama and Hillary, all of them combined, we need money. Always a fundraising email, all right? So that's how they're manipulating money out of people and they're doing it quite well. All right, Jessica, thoughts on this? Yeah, I think the DeSantis Trump ticket, they don't have popular support. This would be a vehicle to potentially try and steal another election. I don't think if they lose, they would go down easy. And now they've learned exactly where the points of weakness are. And it's really on the January 6th special committee to pass some legislation to ensure that nothing like this happens again, especially ahead of 2024. 
And I think it's quite concerning when we reflect on what's really going on behind the scenes. So a lot of the folks that support Trump, support DeSantis, really believe in some kind of deep state conspiracy. But a lot of these folks, including people like Chad Meredith, the federal judge that Biden is set up to appoint from Kentucky, the Republican who is anti-choice. These are all people who have been deeply involved with the Cato Institute, with the Federalist Society, with the Heritage Foundation, who pay these folks significant chunks of money and line their pockets. They go to conferences and they learn how to push a far right agenda. They have a sophisticated machine for funneling these donations from the right, as mentioned in that quote you just shared. DeSantis is supported by their PAC. Trump was passed off a list from the Heritage Foundation with Kavanaugh, Gorsuch and Amy Comey Barrett's names on it for Supreme Court justice appointees. We really need to think about what's going on behind the scenes and be just as critical of the face of the far right in America as we are of these organizations that are operating behind the scenes. The reality is you don't have to only be concerned about Trump winning, you have to be concerned about him losing, as you said. It's not just about who casts the vote, it's also about who counts them. And they have created a strategic plan to put vote counters in particular places. They are putting in clerks, they're putting in Secretary of States, they're putting in local Board of Election officers, as well as state governors who are manipulating the law so that they can overtake elections at any time from Georgia beyond. All right. Canada, they may have the right idea. I would like to see them go further, but so Canada, they have a plan to stop right wing grooming in their country. So parents and teachers in Canada now have access to a free resource to help identify and combat right wing indoctrination in their country and as it relates to children and teenagers. The Canadian government has partnered with the Canadian Anti-Hate Network to launch an educational toolkit in wake of the rise of mass shootings and hate crimes, not just in their nation, but beyond. The Minister of Housing, Diversity and Inclusion, Ahmed Hussein says, as we would like to as parents, we can't shield our children from everything. But we can, we can give them tools to make the right decisions when they react to real life situations, whether a person whether in person or online, when sometimes it's difficult to know how to respond. So first the toolkit acknowledges that right wing rhetoric is bad, all right? And there's an active recruitment model. Uh, there is evidence that hate promoting groups specifically target young people with their messaging. These groups test market slang on Twitter, rewrite popular songs with white nationalist lyrics and join mainstream video game platforms all to reach a young audience for their hate dominion. The toolkit contains background information on how white supremacist groups generally operate on social media. Young people spend an enormous amount of time on social media and are exposed to many different platforms that carry the potential for hate movements to recruit and organize. YouTube, for example, was cited as the primary cause of red pilling, a term used to describe a dramatic shifting of viewpoints, usually toward hate ideologies and far right and fascist group chats. It also has compiled a list 
all right? A list of different recruitment tactics uh, of white supremacist groups, including visuals, memes, etc. Let's put up some, all right? The program encourages parents to identify patterns of behavior that may indicate their children's affiliation with a hate group. Adults often dismiss early indications of bigoted ideology as a student pushes boundaries or just acting out. And while this might also be true, in many cases they are dismissing warning signs of a dangerous affiliation taking root. Seemingly isolated incidents like a student scratching a swastika into a desk or engaging in misogynistic or Islamophobic language warrants a response that clarifies behavioral expectations, affirms the value of all human life and opens a dialogue with students to interrupt this kind of behavior. It also has a section dedicated to approaches for parents, educators and community members, all right? It highlights community engagement and collective action. If a student, if a student or group of students is increasingly affiliated with hate promoting groups, community entities can brainstorm positive responses to engage all students and build a stronger community instead of fertile ground for hate group recruitment. This is also a valuable toolkit, it's available for anyone who would like to use it. Now, this is really interesting because while I think the way Canada is doing it, they're kind of fumbling through it, but they have the right idea. And the right idea is right wing bigotry and racism is wrong. That's the premise of this, it's bad, okay? In America, however, there's a debate if racism is wrong. Who debates it? Racist people. The only person who would debate you on that ideology is a racist person, okay? It's wrong. Canada has at least figured this out as a governmental structure while America is still struggling with it. Okay, uh, Jessica, thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, the Biden administration right now is considering banning TikTok. They are caught up in a fight over China, a you know, multinational corporation based in China having access to our data when US based multinational corporations have a ton of foreigners data. Why are they engaging in this fight? It's about power on the global stage. It's about you know fighting China, which is something that I thought we would shift away from after Donald Trump's presidency. Why is he not concerned about how technology is used to radicalize children within our own borders? That's a far bigger threat when it comes to how people are using technology. And I don't think I'm alone, but I am haunted by the future in the United States. Who will these kids who are indoctrinated grow up to be? We really don't have something comparable in the United States, but there are plenty of people studying it. There are plenty of people at universities studying how children are radicalized online here in the States. We're just not using that information for greater cybersecurity and to prosecute the people who are doing it, and we should. And this toolkit's free of charge. So I think parents in the United States should absolutely download it. Yeah, and support it. And here's the other thing Canada's putting real money behind this program. All right, you support it, you connect with it, more money will be allocated to it, which means you got a greater distribution of the message. We got more on the other side, it's indisputable, stick and stay. All right, we got a lot of show left. Let me read some of these amazing comments. Before I do that, let me remind everyone about the membership. All right, the membership of Indisputable, the YouTube page. We now have a way for you to join and become a member right now. All right, you got three levels. First one at 40, excuse me, not 40. 
$4.99. The highest level is $24.99. I would love for you to join us, connect with us. Let's have greater, greater connectivity. Um, And also, also check out the billboards around the country, all right? Uh, Very thankful to every single one of you, all right? You all have made this show the fastest growing TV news show in America. Uh, There is very little special about me. There is something always really special about the truth. And that's it, that's the recipe, truth. Every time, no matter what, no matter who it offends, truth, okay? All right, we got Mo Fury, Don and Ron gonna end up like Julius, E2 DeSantis, yeah? You know what's gonna happen. If they become president and vice president, we are going back to old school, before politics was really politics, it was still basically war. That's what you're going back to. Uh, Nadia's Maximus. Uh, Trump is threatened by DeSantis running for president and is throwing shade at him by calling him <laughs> his possible VP. Not good enough for president. Let them tear each other apart. We'll see. I, I don't know if DeSantis will actually run against Trump. It'll be interesting because I guarantee you, after Trump does what he does, uh, who's going to want to run with the VP or with Trump as VP after that? Lynn, and once again, Trump makes it about him, that's right. Rebel Dragon, the extreme right is targeting the very young because they're alarmed that so many Zoomers are progressive. They want the next generation to be groomed into being haters, that's correct, they do. Jenk Zappa, Garland must announce his investigation before Trump announces his campaign. However, I have zero confidence that that would happen. It just has to, it has to happen. If you don't lock up Trump, you can't lock up a president for nothing. I'm still trying to figure out how in the hell did they impeach Clinton and got him to testify. You still can't get Trump to testify. He has no protections as a former president and you still can't get him. Fascinating. Twitch, all right, chaos emerald, right, 7591. So that is how he is going to keep DeSantis from running against him, possibly. We've seen stranger things in this world, have we not? Okay, all right, child slavery case against Hershey, Nestle, tossed out by the federal federal court. This is interesting, happened in DC, let's put up the judge. So let's follow the logic of this, all right? So federal judge in Washington DC has now dismissed a lawsuit by eight citizens of Mali who sought to hold Hershey and other companies liable for child slavery on Ivory Coast cocoa farms. Now, I want you to realize that in her dismissal, the judge did not say it didn't happen or there's not sufficient evidence. This was dismissed because of something entirely different. Now, the judge, let's put it back up. Her name is Dabney Frederick, said the plaintiffs in the proposed class action lack standing to sue. They lack standing to sue, according to the federal judge. She said the plaintiffs did not show a traceable connection between the seven defendants companies and specific plantations. The judge said the plaintiffs also did not adequately explain the role of intermediaries in the cocoa supply chain, noting that the companies did not monitor activity in free zones 
where about 70 to 80% of the cocoa is produced. Now here's the thing, everybody knows what this is. This is one of those things, it's not even a cultural secret. They know what this is. This is forced labor, there's a promise made, they bring these young people over and then they tell them you gotta work. You gotta work in order for us to let you go. And they continue to work, work, work and they are never really let go. This has been noted for the record for a while. Molly and Ivory Coast share a border in West Africa. Uh, the plaintiff said they were trafficked as children, okay? After being approached by unfamiliar men who promised paying jobs, but were ultimately not paid for their labor, threatened with starvation if they did not work and required to live in squalor. That's called slavery. That's called child trafficking. That's human trafficking. That's child labor. Multiple violations here, right? Okay. Traffic children are reportedly sold for as little as $34 to cocoa farmers based on other reporting about this that has been done. Their lawyer, let's put up the lawyer, uh, his name is Terry Collingsworth, is a human rights lawyer. Collingsworth said the plaintiffs plan to appeal in the hopes to force the companies to keep their own promises and end the system they have created. Now, we, we see this for what it is, all right? Um, I'm not a court of law, I'm a different kind of court. We're the court of public opinion here in common sense. They are aware of how business gets done. They are completely aware of the culture that they are helping permeate, create. But they have this plausible deniability, loose connections. And so the judge tosses it because it's not really traceable, the connections here, according to the judge. Uh, to me, that's an issue for the jury to figure out. My law professor would say the jury is the fact finder of a case, not the judge. The other defendants include privately held Mars Inc., Mondelez International Inc., uh, Barry Kalabot, and Alum International LTD. In court papers, the seven defendants have said they strongly condemn the use of forced labor and were working to address non-forced child labor and cocoa supply chains. We, we, we strongly object and condemn slavery, but, but we're trying to address non-forced child slavery that we are aware of. What? Okay, uh, it gets even more weird. According to the Food Empowerment Project, Western African countries, mostly Ghana and Ivory Coast supply about 70% of the world's cocoa. That's a lot. The farms of West Africa and Brazil supply cocoa to international giants such as Hershey's, Mars, and others revealing the industry's direct connection to the worst forms of child labor, human trafficking, and slavery known to us currently, okay? All right, these companies should be held accountable. This is part of that exposure. Jessica, thoughts on this? I think it's really important that what we're doing here is contextualizing this. It can be easy to look at this and stories like this and say, this was a terrible thing that happened. But it's really important to remember this is a pattern of behavior. And sometimes breaking news is this is what's happening right now. But what's really important is what happened yesterday and what's likely to happen tomorrow. Stephen Kinzer, who was a newsman for many years, told me that. And it couldn't be more true because what's going on here is an extension of colonial rule just to zoom out and see how this is really global in scale. In the post-colonial era, you know, colonization didn't really end, it just changed its form for a long right. time. European countries were going out into Latin America, Africa, Southeast Asia, 
and forcibly with guns and with violence, stealing labor or exploiting labor, stealing resources, stealing land. And after the post you know, colonial era, what we're in now, neocolonialism, what we're doing is using somewhat legitimized institutions like the IMF and like the World Bank and the United States has printed a lot of their dollars, put these countries in debt and used a development model of just make raw goods. And people are still forced into labor as a part of this larger system. And so what's going on here is the United States perpetuating this system, perpetuating global capitalism abroad and keeping people impoverished and people now doing slave labor so that the United States can profit off of the extraction of raw goods in places like Africa, Latin America and Southeast Asia. And it's disgusting and it's important that right now when we're really feeling the impact of the corrupt judicial system in the United States and the high courts in the United States, that this injustice and this corruption is really global in scale. And a lot of the decision makers have stock and receive dividends and know the owners of these multinational corporations that are benefiting from this centuries long system of exploitation. This is, and so well said, uh, this is worse than an expression of capitalism. This is corporatism, which is far worse, by the way. And here's what has to happen, okay? Until these companies address this appropriately, I would never purchase another damn thing associated with any of these companies. I encourage you to do the same. If you have investments, make sure your investments. Do not support these companies. I would divest in anything that supports any of these companies. Remember, we're talking about actual child slave labor. That's what's on the table. That's what we're discussing. Until this is appropriately fixed, remedied, until there's actual accountability, why would we want to support it? Why? Don't allow the conveniences of particular things in this society or even the convenience of life itself make you shed your humanity, especially as it relates to children. All right, Jessica, pleasure having you on the show. Uh, tell people how they can follow you, check out your great work. Yeah, always a pleasure to be on, you do really great work here. Um, I'm on Thank Rebel you. HQ, which is the Young Turks YouTube channel, you can check me out on there. Also, Econ for the People on TikTok, you can check me out on TikTok as well. All and right. Okay. Sorry, we're on the power panel as well every other week. So here on TYT, I'm here too. Beautiful. Remember, take care of yourself, take care of each other, take care of the planet. Remember, the truth is always indisputable.